we're not really able to survive without without belonging and without a sense of connection and meaningfulness like we sort of we we like are living the the legacy of this like attempt to sever those things and direct them towards the market welcome to wayward bodies a show about our bodies and the messy places that they meet the world i'm your host ellie bauer johnston Each episode, we'll be exploring embodiment, body liberation, creativity, healing, and how we can start to show up as our whole selves. Hello, welcome to Wayward Bodies. I am Ellie Bauer Johnston. I'm your host and an embodiment guide, a breath and rest teacher, and what I like to call a body witch. Uh, And today I'm bringing you a conversation that I got to have with Marika Heinrichs, all about embodiment and whiteness, uh, rediscovering ancestors, and doing what we don't know how to do. We spoke all the way back in November last year, back when I thought I would just be taking a short break and returning with season two in February. So this conversation has been sat patiently waiting for a while, and I'm really excited that it gets to gets to come into the light now. It also means that those of you who have been here since season one might recognize the familiar rumble of the tube underneath some of the uh, the audio, because this was recorded at my old place where the tube ran beneath it, uh, a tiny nostalgic Easter egg for you. Yeah, so before we get stuck in, let me tell you a little bit about Marika. So she is a queer cis femme of Soviet German, British and Irish ancestry who believes that reconnecting with the wisdom of our bodies is vital to ending systems of domination and supremacy. She has practiced as a somatic therapist and educator within social movement spaces for over a decade. Marika has trained in the lineages of generative somatics, biodynamic craniosacral therapy, focusing and neuroaffective touch, and is currently a PhD candidate at the California Institute of Integral Studies. Marika holds a commitment to pushing back against the appropriation of BIPOC cultural wisdom that so often happens in mainstream somatics, as well as to cultivate spaces for people of European ancestry to connect with something in ourselves older than whiteness, through embodied practice. She lives in Guelph, Canada, on the lands of the Atawandaran, Chinonton, and neutral peoples, also the treaty land of the Mississauguas of the New Credit, and part of the Dish with One Spoon Covenant. I'm so pleased that I can finally share this conversation with you. Marika and I wandered through all sorts of interesting landscapes, including our birthright to being in connection with the world and the the cultural disconnection we have to clear out to be able to return to that. We spoke about having consent and finding lineages that are ours, especially as two white practitioners. We spoke about learning to listen through more than just our cognitive capacities and the inherent queerness of embodiment. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Let's get into it. Thanks for joining me, Marika. It's such a pleasure to have you here. 
for the podcast. Um, I I know that you know this, but you are on my list of like ideal pod guests. And so you you put something up on your Instagram a while ago, just like, is there anyone who who wants to talk? And I was like, oh, me. Um, <laughs> So small, small dreams realised for me here. Nice. I know that po- folks will know kind of a bit about your work from the intro, but I thought it might be nice to kind of start with something a bit more personal, just like your your own experience of how you found your way into embodiment and somatics and, you know, this kind of world that we, we operate in. Mm, yeah. Um, well, thank you for your kind words. I I think every time I answer this question, there's like something that I realize there was, oh no, there was something before that, or there was something before that. And it's so interesting to, yeah, just like kind of explore and and kind of trace back all the different ways that embodiment has been there all along, but not always knowing that was the word for what was happening. So I found my way into more sort of formal somatics work about 11, 11-ish years ago through, I, I somehow found myself in a, in a workshop that was led by a generative somatics practitioner. Amazing. And I can't remember the name of the workshop, but it was essentially something around kind of the body and social justice. And I had been really feeling called and pulled to weave those different kinds of domains of my experience in into relationship for a long time that didn't feel like I had a lot of guidance or mentorship or examples in terms of how to do that. So yeah, and I was going through a, a time of um, pretty like intense rupture and burnout in my activist community. Um, a lot of like vicarious trauma and kind of like lateral violence happening and it was really beautiful to be in a space with some of the people who I was doing that work with and going through that time with where we just sort of listened to each other and listened to each other's bodies and made space to just process some of what was happening and and included and brought in the body as a resource and it was really profound for me and then a few years later after kind of continuing to sort of stumble through that period of time and working in a nonprofit. And um, I decided to become a therapist and I moved across the country and found myself in a city where there happened to be a generative somatics practitioner. Um, so I began working with her one-on-one and then eventually I did training in that lineage, which then led to many other trainings and other lineages. And, <laughs> um, but I also think a lot about like being a kid and going to the forest mm-hmm. and um, just like being kind of like one of those like really like introverted sensitive kids who like experienced the world in a very kind of like mystical way and yeah that nature was like a real place of presence and resource for me and I think I'm kind of in a process of my own practice of kind of like reconnecting with that as in some ways like my earliest experiences of embodiment so yeah that's my answer for today. <laughs> <laughs> Solid. Yeah, it checks out. Um, yeah, that, and that, that sense of um, sort of pre-having the descriptions and the, the labels to put on it, um, the, the depth of our embodiment as child, uh, in childhood and that, like, you know, as someone who grew up not with the forest but with the ocean, like that mm. same, like, deep connection of, like, I can feel it in my body as I speak about it. 
yeah. Um, yeah. and it just lives in there. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, is so that kind of connection with the natural world is something that's really alive in your practice right now? Yeah, I think the more that I kind of explore embodiment and kind of what that what that term or word or concept even means, I think the more I feel aware that our bodies are nature and that we are part of the wildness. And so I think a lot about like, you know, the kind of ways in which somatics and embodiment are these like very, like very kind of mass marketed, like big words right now. Right. Everyone's Mm -hmm. doing their like training and embodiment and somatics is this and that, and the nervous system is everywhere. And, you know, I don't think of myself as being like a super seasoned practitioner, but I've been around for long enough to remember when like, that was not how it was. Mm. (laughs) And um, I think it just has given me the sense of like, what does it mean for something to become like really popularized and really like commodified and um, really stripped or disconnected from its kinds of like roots. And um, that brings in, you know, lots of conversations around spirituality and appropriation, but also to me, it brings this sort of sense of like, but this is just how, like things are we are meant to be in connection we are meant to be in relationship to you know rhythms and seasons and cycles and so the idea that we're being kind of sold something back that is actually just like our birthright feels very indicative of the kind of world that we're in and so um, I've been thinking a lot about like just returning to like the simplest kinds of practices you know just like clearing aside all of the training and all of the fancy terminology and just and for me like nature is such a place where that connects yeah yeah there's um that commodification and you know as we'll talk about appropriation like Mm -hmm. sort of pop that off to the side but um it must be really interesting to you know I'm, I'm relatively fresh to embodiment worlds I came up through kind of more yogic practice and and then meandered in to this field but yeah there's a similar kind of commodification and and saleability in yoga as well of Mm -hmm. like and the way that that flattens things down into these tidy little kind of like here's a thing that you can sell whereas actually it's everything Yeah. And how do you, how do you sell that or teach that? Like, (laughs) cool. So come and train in like just being with everything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just, this is just how, you know, this is just what, what we are. This is how life is. And so um, there, there is something to be said for a discipline and a practice. Absolutely. But I think in, in my understanding of, you know, the ways in which practices were, kind of engaged in in their like ancient kind of contexts and historical contexts was as a way of life right we practice we practice these things every day forever because they keep us in check Mm. they keep us in relationship and they remind us um of our kind of right size relationship to the kind of web that we are a part of as opposed to something that is like has become much more kind of hierarchical and flattened as you said and that has like certifications and professionalization attached to it and I think we've lost some of the distinction between the real value of like 
apprenticing yourself to a practice and to really deep ongoing learning. Um, and, you know, the kind of like marketing certification process, right? Like those, you don't necessarily, you haven't necessarily cultivated a very like deep practice just because you have those things. And so, um, yeah, I've just been thinking about that. Yeah, a lot, yeah. and what that means as someone who does this for a living as well. So. Yeah, yeah, entirely. Like you know, we are both working within this field, um, mm -hmm. and there are uh, there are many questions that come with that, and it's you know it's important to be asking those questions. Um, mm -hmm. But I think ah, uh, I think often. It's less, you know, I find in my work that it's less about the uh, the teaching of something. It's not about like, well, go go and put your foot, you know, your feet on the soil. It's like, well, what what is there that you've kind of gathered that is stopping you from being in relationship? Mm -hmm. And that's that's where so much of the work is, like, because as as you said, like this this is when you can tap into it. This is as natural as anything. This is it just flows, it moves through and you, you are in relationship with the beings and the non beings and, and the world around you. But we have these, you know, beautiful complex brains and beautiful complex nervous systems and beautiful fucked up society that we live in mm -hmm. that gives us all of this other stuff that stops us. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's so true. And I yeah, I think I I often think about like relationship is the the default it's it's the it's the it's the kind of like the air that we're breathing and the water that we're swimming in and it's the aliveness that we're a part of and separation is you know the condition mm. <laughs> and separation is really the project of colonialism and white supremacy and christian supremacy right it's like separating people from that relationship to the you know the divine or the kind of mystical or whatever your personal kind of like framing or relationship is um to the more than human world but I think yes that like often it's like our work is in helping to clear away all of the can all the armoring and and separation that has built up often for good reason for mm. protection and safety and survival um but that does not serve us in the long run and keeps us really isolated from one another and from ourselves yeah and and from that sense of um being present to aliveness in its in its fullness mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. not to put not to put words in your mouth <laughs> yes yes i i like those words <laughs> um yeah it's um you know we kind of i said we would circle back to um appropriation and and here we are kind of vaguely circling back to appropriation with with the the talk of colonialism and its impacts on i mean everything but like us and our relationship to our bodies um i'd love to hear like a little more of your perspective on how our culture of white su supremacy and colonial colonialism and all of it kind of plays out on our bodies in our bodies i mean that's a big question yeah. in a casual <laughs> no big deal and, but but I think one that is really important and I think I can only really speak from my own embodied experience as a person who is in a white body mm -hmm. in a 
you know, a European descended body and, and like the experience that I have of, of kind of excavating some of those layers. And, and I think that to me, it really is that separation piece feels like so core to it that, that like the cost of supremacy and domination is this deep, deep severance from belonging, from connection, from aliveness, from the sacred um, that just wreaks all sorts of havoc in our bodies and leads to um, a kind of power over, you know, sort of grabbing domination, um, you know, sort of moves towards innocence and purity and goodness and fragility and all the things that we sort of are seeing the consequences of playing out all around us and the roots of that are you know very very much like historical and intentional and like woven through our culture and history that that there there were waves and waves of intentional processes of separating our peoples from connection and um it worked like this is the result of that and so for me, I think there's, you know, there's so many brilliant Black and Indigenous and people of color teachers and practitioners who have like done the work really well and thoroughly of articulating the damages and the harms of appropriation and colonialism and what that is and how that happens. And, and I, you know, feel like my kind of like work in relation to that is to be like, right, like what causes appropriation? How do we like cut how do we intervene from from the roots of like this thing that is growing out of like really toxic soil um because I think as white people we can often get really caught up in like you know doing things right or not appropriating or acknowledging you know all of the teachers and lineages and like that's all really important and beautiful and necessary to name and acknowledge but you know there's something driving our desire towards what I see as like a non-consensual or non-reciprocal relationship with other practices that come from other cultures. And so, which I think has a lot to do with your question around like colonialism and, and white mm. supremacy. So yeah, I'm sort of feeling my way through what it means to practice and explore embodiment from that place. Yeah, from a place of, um, I often talk about this with my friends, like the sense of grabby hands, where it's just like, mm. you know, kind of like, oh, I, I need something to fill this yes. emptiness and I will take whatever I can get. And yeah, like so much of my own experience of, of embodiment and, you know, working through and with these themes has has kind of come to that that sense of the hollowness, that sort of like shallow uh surface level that we're often given mm -hmm. as you know white western people mm -hmm. because we don't have that depth of culture our, our culture is you know ha has been sold out to capitalism and to supremacy mm -hmm. and to power and mm -hmm. left us bereft of of depth um, you know, and I, I, you know, that, that sounds really like bereft of depth, like, you know, we're all these shallow maniacs, but like, like deep meaning, which comes yeah. from, from, you know, lineages that, that you can trace back and back and back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel that so 
deeply and that that feeling of like bereftness and the grasping or the grabbing like they those things make sense because we're not really able to survive without without belonging and without a sense of connection and meaningfulness like we sort of we we like are living the the legacy of this like attempt to sever those things and direct them towards the market mm -hmm. right like that capitalism is supposed to kind of become um, and there are lots of people who are you know, far more articulate than I am at talking about this, but basically how kind of capitalism came in to replace that relationship to the sacred and just kind of follows a very similar map to um, kind of religion and saviorism. And, and I think like, yeah, there's just so much in terms of not only having connection to a spirit, spiritual lineages, but also to like non-hierarchical, relational and like animist um senses of spirituality where mm -hmm. we can have a sense of connection to like our own worth and divinity and um you know like relationship to connection to aliveness and to to the sacred through our bodies and through the land and through each other and through movement not needing to kind of go and worship something external to ourselves and um I think white people oftentimes we want to skip over all of that history and just like find the thing and we can do that even with our our own ancestry you know I've certainly like found that in myself and like noticed that in like some kind of like neo-pagan sort of like contexts where it's like now we do this and it and and it's there's beauty in that but also I don't really know if there's a way out of it without acknowledging the loss and like the the harm that like we've caused um as a result of that loss mm. like I just I think there's a we're missing something really important if we don't give some pay some attention to that because our bodies know it yeah yeah <laughs> like our bodies definitely know right like, like uh... I, I'm <laughs> hi and I, yeah like even as people are listening to this like it, noticing in your body like as we're talking about this like cultural bereftness and loss related to whiteness just listening to what happens in your body when you hear two people talk about that. Like that's, that's your body saying like, exactly, hi, <laughs> I know something about this. Or maybe you feel nothing at all. And that's also, you know, information, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, so many places that we could go. Um, um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like see them all like spreading out in different pathways in front of my brain. I think it would be amazing to kind of touch. I know a lot of your work kind of centers back on that, that understanding of an ancestral practice and ancestral, I suppose, like, you know, finding, finding lineages that are ours. I'd love to hear a little bit more about like how that shows up, how that like plays out, what that looks like, like, cause it feels that there's certainly from from my personal perspective like I am Australian as far as white people go back being Australian and then I'm British and you know like bits and pieces of British and it's yeah like how, how do you find your way back to those practices that have been lost in the mist mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah that's a great question I'm also just thinking about how I'm here in Canada and you've just named 
your lineages and that we're really part of this like British Commonwealth like settler yeah. kind of yeah this like dis- disconnection displacement that there's like shared experience in that even though we're like in these very different parts of the world and yeah. that's part of it's nice to have these conversations with people who are from who have that who have that experience from in different trajectories, I guess. Yeah, I'm so used to being very North American centric, but. Um. <laughs> I, you know, I was thinking about the fact that, you know, you're you're in Canada and I'm in a, well, from Australia, but also now living in London. So it's this sort mm-hmm. of like very, like I am in the motherland where yeah. <laughs> like, where I don't have lands that I like, you know, the owners of the land that I, that I need to reference because they, they're, they're still here. Yeah. Yeah. And when it's like go, going back or like finding those roots, like, I mean, I've been to England, but like, it doesn't have, it's, it's not like there's like a place that I can just go. Right. Mm. And so that's part of what we're feeling into, I think is like, I have a, I have a post-it note on my computer that says, um, doing what we don't know how to do. Mm. And that's a phrase that I, that kind of captured this like essence of something that I've been playing with and exploring with in my own kind of personal practice. Um, and the, the person who said that is a really wonderful dancer and embodiment teacher and witch and tarot reader whose name is Michael J. Morris. And they're just like a brilliant human. Um, and I heard them say that in relation to very similar work around kind of feeling for that space of possibility through the body that like doing what we don't know how to do. We don't know how to do this because we've never done it before. <laughs> and, and so I think to just speak to my own journey with that, partially I've had really, really, I've had mentorship and connection with other white people who are in a process of ancestral exploration and remembrance through a politicized lens, which mm-hmm. really until I had those supports, I did not know. I felt like if I went to the like ancestral reconnection spaces it was really bypassing and if I was in the more kind of like politicized anti-racism spaces there was like no tending to the body or to lineage Hmm. and once I started to find people that were bringing those things together it was like it offered me this kind of like opening to deepen into that practice so I think we need relationship and community to do this Hmm. and then what I found is like you know like you like I'm an I'm a somatics practitioner like that's how I I'm I experience and learn through my body. So I um, would like, you know, pick up a book or maybe kind of like invite in my ancestors to kind of like show up and like send me a message during like a kind of like a embodied meditation practice. Um, I would engage in conversation with people about what they knew about like the lands that my ancestors came from and just like little bits of information started to kind of kind of like tendrils started to sort of like grow and um and it would be this really interesting process where I would be kind of asking or inquiring into something and then I would get offered like a piece of information um or something would sort of show up or I would do a google search and find something I hadn't found before so it felt very kind of like (laughs) non-linear and then yeah like a book would I would learn about like a a writer who had like done like research into right now I'm working through a book about Northern European mythology um, and like Germanic mythology, ancient mm-hmm. Germanic myths. And so I kind of find these things, but there, there would be that same experience of like grasping, like I want to know, 
or also sometimes this experience of like, it's actually too much to know because once I know, I'm going to realize how much I've lost and that's too hard. <laughs> so there was like, I just sort of would sit with these things kind of like next to me, but like not really able to like open into them. Kind of like side eyeing them. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I know that's there. Okay. So actually my narrative that there's nothing is like not entirely true. Like there is something. But in order to like read it or engage with it, I'm gonna have a lot. Of, I'm gonna have a lot of feelings, and so how do I do that slowly? And and then I think also, I think a lot about like engaging with a lineage or a practice is is a relationship, mm-hmm. and so much of what appropriation is about is like a non-consensual relationship that's not even reciprocal. It's just taking. It's one-sided, and I didn't want to engage with my with my with my ancestors in that way so yeah I also had some good guidance around like let them you know tell you if they want to connect and listen really learn to listen for what is coming through and so it's been a combination of yeah research and then different kinds of embodied practice through movement through body work through writing um of just like listening and receiving and following that and and like not and doing what I don't know how to do <laughs> yeah just feeling your way in the dark yeah just just sort of feeling like I think that feels like something so I'm gonna follow it and being open to the possibility of that relationship being offered mm. um, and just continuing to go from you know one step to the next like I think this feels okay I think this feels like there's space here to move and it's just kind of built on that yeah 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 I love I love that the um the idea of consent with within a practice um feels so potent you know especially coming from a world of you know buddhas for sale in airplane you know airport gift shops and stuff like that like to to ease your way in and 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 help have it as an uh, integrated experience. So you're not glutting yourself. You're not finding everything you knowing you know you know about Celtic culture or whatever it is, and then like reading mm-hmm. a thousand books and not really stopping to take take any of it in, but just like blah, blah, blah. Exactly. and then, <laughs> yeah, which which. I fully recognize as a potential within myself. Um, Me too. Yes. Yeah. You know, this beautiful uh, tendency to want to learn things and to know things, but we we can't just know them. We have to feel them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. 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 I think there's something in that that's like, I don't fully have the words for exactly, but it's part of our own work of divesting from supremacy that we don't get to just reach and have mm. right away that we don't we don't get to be entitled even with our own ancestors and lineages we are, we need to learn how to sit and listen and receive in its own time mm. and so the process is also the learning is the, the unknowing You know, it's like I kept thinking that I was waiting for like a protocol or a a bunch of steps 
And I think what I'm starting to realize is like, oh no, like I'm just never going to really know. (laughs) I'm going to just, I'm just going to create intentional spaces for myself to like not know and just move through that uncomfortably. And there's something very weird about that. Like, you know, I, I love learning. I love knowledge. Um, My brain loves to like get interested in things and then reach for them. But in this practice, it's just like, keeping yourself in an intentional state of not knowing what you're doing is makes me actually feel closer to my ancestors because I think that's more like how they, how their practices were, you know, they like sat by the water, they sat in the forest and just listened and waited to receive. And um, it's like a real paradigm shift. (laughs) (laughs) It's Yeah. It's, um, it's like a a genuine embodying of, uh, like shifting out of the paradigm of capitalist consumption and you know supremacist dogma and like the, the the idea that you can know everything and that you can sit at the top of the heap and be like cool I figured it all out yeah I figured out yeah. my ancestry and all of my ancestors and the whole the whole history of of everything spanning back like yeah. that's that's a lot to imagine that you could yeah. do exactly yeah and now I'm getting it right I'm getting it all right. I'm doing a really good job and I'm getting it all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Like>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, the practice, I mean, it, it's beautiful that the, the practice of reconnecting with our own, like you know, our own ancestors, our own lineages, our own um, sort of deeper understanding of this embodied relationship is intricately, intricately woven in with the unlearning of urgency and consumption and all of these things that we have been taught are the ways to to exist in the world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and the sort of like the secret like the secret to that is that it's through that kind of practice that everything that we're looking for becomes available to us mm-hmm. it's like it's right there it's, it's this like the unfolding emerges in the place of like yielding to it instead mm-hmm. of reaching for it. Yeah, the release of the fist. Okay. Yeah. So within that, well, I mean, within all of it, I know we had kind of touched on the idea of talking about queerness within that (laughs) within that context within all of it and specifically like you'd mentioned the idea of uh connecting with queer ancestors and uh and I'd love to hear a little bit I'd love to hear a little bit about that Mm -hmm. well I think the process that we're talking about is so inherently queer Mm. like what is queerer than moving through us moving through something and not in an embodying this kind of like just uncomfortable in between space that is also like full of potential and possibility like that to me is queerness right it's like queerness is the is the unknowing is the like surrendering or the like doing away with like binaries and categories and and I don't mean in a kind of like identitarian way but in a like embodied way is like troubling it's this kind of troubling thing that I like just sometimes I don't even think about 
how much that has informed this part of my practice because I guess I just live that way and I just yeah. don't always um you know there's a reason why I think so many queers become somatic practitioners like I think we just really know and live in our bodies already in this kind of in-between space yeah um, yeah yeah it's a generalization but I think a lot of us do mm. um and our nervous systems already know that it's survivable to exist outside of categories to exist outside of like the white cis heteropatriarchy mm. um, and so I think there's like this kind of natural sense of like, well, what more is possible here? Yeah. Like once you've cracked one like a normative expectation wide open, then it's like, cool, I guess I can just do what I want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like it actually feels really good and you don't need to have like a defined answer to everything. Some things are just always emerging and unfolding. And um, I think there's a that's a way that queerness actually has a lot to offer this work of like decolonization and mm. um and yeah so all all sorts of like undoing oppression work and yeah I think one of the things that I work with a lot with my in my therapy practice with queer and trans clients is around connecting with queer ancestors as a source of um support and as a resource because so many queer and trans people don't have a sense of either like biological family who feel like you know, nourishing, supportive resources. And because we have such a like lack of elders in our communities, you know, in part due to the AIDS pandemic and like losing just like a generation um, yeah. of people. And I think probably some like intergenerational trauma around that loss, as well as like the ongoing loss and death of in particular trans people trans women of color and so we just have we don't have enough elders and one of the ways that I I think we can still draw on like if I think about like Leslie Feinberg for example like um or I mean so many people who are like both like living ancestors and and passed on ancestors they would want to be available to us mm. you know they would want to be available to young trans people who are feeling so alone and struggling without mentorship and adults in their lives and um and so I think building a sense of like you know asking those calling those those people to be at our backs and feeling like we can have a relationship with them through kind of a similar process you know like inviting or asking them to be in relationship or reading their work um listening to them speak um reading their poetry like all of these things that can, are still cultivating a relationship with ancestors that can be such a source of support, especially for young queer people who don't have a lot of that in their lives. So yeah, that's a really precious kind of, I think it's in some ways where I started doing ancestor work, actually, mm -hmm. if I really think about it. Yeah, I, I've like never made that connection before, but I think <laughs> it was like my, the first place I went to be like, I need help <laughs> was with was with those ancestors. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I, I love the, um, sort of the broad generosity of the definition of ancestor as well. So it's not just like our ancestors are our blood and bone who like, you know, genetic reaching back and back and back. It's like mm -hmm. it, there is so much more that can be, that can be added to your definition of ancestor. Absolutely. Yeah. I think one of my um, mentors, Susan Raffo talks about ancestors of lineage and ancestors of blood and bone. So Ancestors of lineage can be our queer ancestors, our 
you know, ancestors who are like, who are teachers of, of a practice that we engage in or of a political or like artistic orientation. And um, yeah, I think that absolutely, absolutely non-biological ancestors are our ancestors. Yeah, yeah, kin, kin just from different sources. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Is there anywhere else that you would like to meander any stuff that we've kind of touched on that you'd like to circle back to I think that um so one of the things I get get asked a lot about this kind of like practice around unknowing and and doing what we don't know how to do is like okay but how do I start (laughs) and I'm actually in the process of working on a on the curriculum for a course for practitioners that I'm hoping to launch next year sometime that will be really like an immersive kind of experience for us to, to move through some of this together. And so I know that um, in, for white folks, there can often be this kind of like real sense of like, of like emptiness and impossibility and like not knowing where to go that can kind of like, that opens up when we have these conversations. And so I don't, even though we're talking about like unknowing and being uncomfortable in that space, I think there are still like practical things we can do to cultivate our capacity to do that. And so maybe I can just say a couple of like ideas that I have about that so that people are not left completely. (laughs) Like that sounds really great, but like, what do you mean? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, the, like the kind of like practitioner part of me is like, it's great to have these really theoretical conversations, but like, what do we actually do? How do we bring it into the body and into practice? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So um, I think one of the ways that it might be helpful to think about that practice is that we're learning to listen through more than just our cognitive knowing, right? That like, we have actually the capacity, like our bodies have the capacity to listen. And we can talk about that from a spiritual perspective or from a like neuroscientist perspective that, you know, we have Um, a lot of neurons in our hearts and in our guts and we have consciousness is kind of cultivated through the information that our bodies take in and so our bodies really do know how to listen and perceive on on multiple levels and so learning how to gather information and listen through the body is a really helpful practice if you want to begin to to learn how to kind of drop out of this kind of like reaching, grasping, cognitive knowing. And so that is a kind of practice of rather than reaching for something, letting ourselves receive through sensation and learning how each of us perceive. Some of us, you know, feel a a lot of emotion. We might like pick up on the emotions of others around us. We might get like really intense, like physical sensations, changes in temperature, We might like have like smells or um, yeah, like kind of get like a sudden chill or we might have really strong like images and vision and like visual kinds of, yeah, like information come to us. So all of this is a way that your unconscious can be communicating with you and is tapping into the kind of like different realms of perception and knowing. And that's that's the space that we want to be cultivating our capacity to listen for that's where the information that our brains can't necessarily aren't very good at um they're really good at lots of kinds of information (laughs) Mm -hmm. but they're not always so good at this kind of information so this is where you know practices that support us to slow down um 
you know, find a sense of like center or grounding, learn to really like feel for the, the edges and sensory experience of our bodies, learn to be with our sensations rather than get totally pulled into them. So I can feel tension or I feel sadness in my chest, but we can also be with that. We're not, is that mine or is that someone else's? You know, where is this kind of coming from? So, you know, as I'm beginning to talk about this, it's like, this is, these are deep principles in just about every ancient spiritual tradition, right? Mm -hmm. And for those of us with like European or like indigenous European ancestry, our, our people have had those practices too. And um, some of them we know about and some of them we have to kind of make up, but we're kind of drawn what we know and, and sort of build from there. But um, listening, listening to your body and listening to what might seem like it doesn't make sense or you don't know where it comes from, asking for help, asking for support, you know, maybe like writing down an intention or just checking in with your body in a certain way every day for like two minutes. These are really simple ways to start to cultivate that relationship. And you don't need anyone with a big fancy degree to teach you how to do that. And it doesn't belong to anyone. That is, that is, you're not, you know, stealing from anyone. If you do that, you get to do that because you have a body. <laughs> um, and then, you know, where we might start to feel like we need more support from a practitioner or a group is, is the ways in which trauma can interrupt being able to do those things, right? Mm -hmm. There's a very intentional um, kind of overlap between being with our experience and not getting sucked in and how trauma really like robs us of that. But it's possible to, it's possible to heal that and it's possible to cultivate that. So um, yeah, exploring like what supports you to kind of come into the present through sensation, even if that's by starting with just feeling your baby toe and like, or like, noticing the trees outside your window. Those are all actually like very powerful, sacred practices. And um, yeah, so people might find that they're already doing those things <laughs> and that it's just about bringing a di different intention or deepening an intention. Um, yeah, there's a lot more that I could say about that, but I think just just to give people a sense of like what the heck I'm talking about, <laughs> yeah. those are some ideas. <laughs> yeah, like where, where the rubber meets the road, like this is <laughs> the actual, and, and I love, the thing I love about like these practices is how completely accessible they are, how completely simple they are, like, you know, mm -hmm. to that you don't need to fancy them up, it doesn't need to be difficult, it doesn't need to be you know, an hour and sitting on a mountain and doing all of these things. It's, it's, yeah, it's the simplicity of watching a bird out the kitchen window. Yeah. And it should be accessible. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it should be, it should be accessible because it's how we're meant to be. And um, that feels really important to me as well to like, to share generously and widely mm. because um, we should all have access to this kind of relationship to ourselves, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Well, that yeah. seems like a beautiful place to start to wrap our conversation up. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you again a thousand times for coming to have this conversation with me. I really appreciate your time. Um, do you want to let folks know where they can find more of your work, um, where they can find your words and your beautiful in images on social media and all of that sort of stuff? <laughs> sure. Um, pretty much everything is kind of connected through my website, which is wildbody.ca. And I'm also on Instagram at wildbodysomatics. And um, in both of those places, you can join my newsletter, which is one of my favorite 
things that I do. It's a delight. <laughs> I send out a monthly newsletter. Thank you. Yeah. Um, very fun thing that I get to do every month. And there are links there as well to information about my weekly practice group and then workshops that I kind of offer from time to time and drop in practices and just different opportunities to connect and be in practice together in community. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you again. And um, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having me. One final massive thank you to Marika for joining me for today's episode. It was such a pleasure to get to talk to her after many, many months of internet fangirling. Uh, you can find all of the details of her work and where to find more of it uh, down in the show notes. If you appreciate the show and you want to help spread the word, then I would be hugely grateful. Uh, you can do all the usual things. Subscribe, rate, review, wherever you happen to listen to podcasts, uh, or, or go old school and just tell someone. All of these things are fantastic and help the podcast get into more people's ears. If you want to get in touch about today's episode or anything else, really, then drop me an email at waywardbodies at protonmail.com. And if you're interested in going a little deeper in your own embodiment practices and experiences, then I'm currently taking applications for the autumn intake of one-to-one -one clients. It feels a little impossible that that is where we're at in the year already, but time. So yeah, if you want to see out the year tending to yourself, tending to that connection between mind and body and world, feeling a little bit more capable of holding all of the different parts of yourself and honoring all of them, then I would love to work with you. September is a really beautiful time to start this work, I find. it's It's got a lot of that back-to-school kind of energy. You can find the details and how to apply at my website, which is anotherpractice.com. And while you're there, you can also sign up for my newsletter in practice. It's a fortnightly love letter exploring how we can take these big concepts and bring them down into the real world, into our day-to-day -day life and put them in practice. When you sign up, you'll also get a free amazing resource that I love and that I'm really proud of called the Radical Rest Studio, which is all about how to be a little bit less exhausted. There's a huge list of ways that you can rest. There's a recording of one of my favorite yoga nidra practices and one of my favorite breath practices for rest. So you can also find that at my website, anotherpractice.com. And last but not least, this podcast is edited by the magnificent and effervescent Jolly Kelly of Spreading Fire Studios. If you need podcast support, she's your girl. Her details are down in the show notes as well. All right. I think that's it for this week. Until next time, big love.